today is it, we're going to continue the series on stay the course. I love that picture, don't you? Um, it's a sailboat and it's out in the ocean and you can see the in the distance it looks like man about to encounter some storms. Uh, and I was studying and preparing and for this message and I came across, across this passage in the Passion Translation where I'm going to read from today and so you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Second Corinthians four. And if you don't have a Passion Translation, that's okay. We'll have the words on the screen, and uh, but you can follow along. And but the title of the sermon it's found in the passage like three times, and that's why I love it. Because quitting is not an option. Have you ever gave up on something? Gave up on someone? Gave up on some dream? some job, some dream job. <laughs> you just gave up because you're just so tired of fighting. You're so tired of trying to get through it. And, 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 and you just finally said, I give up. I can't do this anymore. How many of you have been there before? I just can't do this anymore. And you gave up. You know, I have to preface this when I say quitting is not an option because sometimes quitting is the best option. And I'm not talking about your spiritual journey. I'm talking about stuff that is in your life. Uh, quitting is an option. So if you're addicted to something, you need quitting is an option. Okay? So I just want somebody to go home and say, you know, Pastor said quitting is not an option. So I'm... <laughs> Whew, I love it. <laughs> See, I have to qualify that. It's on live stream, so you can't get around that either. Quitting is... Quitting is an option many times, but in your walk with God, quitting is not an option. And we're going to see that in Scripture uh, and how we can get to that place where we can declare that and believe it and walk in it. I uh, had a, a, a young lady in our church that uh, is battling some things, and she, uh, she responded to the Facebook post. I usually do a Sunday night post about what I'm going to do Sunday morning. And she said, I can't be there, but I'm watching a live stream. She said, live stream. She said I really need this. So this is for you and for a lot of other people. It's for me. It's for all of us today that we have to come to the place where we have to confirm in our heart that in this walk of faith, this journey of faith, that quitting is just not an option. And if we're going to stay the course, it's mapped out. Listen, the course is not mapped out by the Wizard of Oz. The, the course is, is mapped out by God, the divine creator. He knows every inter intricate detail of your life, who created you, who knit you together in your mother's womb. He is the one that's mapped out this course for us. So if the creator of the universe that created us has a plan for us, don't you think we should listen to him? But so many times we don't. And when we don't, we get into these places of, I can't do this anymore. I quit. So if you have your Bibles turned in 2 Corinthians 4, I'm going to read six verses and then we'll talk about it a little bit. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing. This is the, probably the third letter he's written to Corinthians. One of the letters that they believe was lost. Uh, so this could be 3 Corinthians, but it's 2 Corinthians. And he's writing to the church, one of the churches that he's established. And it says, Now it's because of God's mercy that we have been entrusted with the privilege of this new covenant ministry. There's a lot right there. Now it's because of God's mercy. Say God's mercy. That we have been entrusted with the privilege, say the privilege, of this new covenant ministry. We're in a new covenant ministry. Not just me, not just Elder Ed, not just pastors. Every believer is called into this ministry. Say, I'm called. I'm called. 
Now look what he says next. And we will not quit or faint with weariness. Say, we will not quit. See, when you, when you start getting these things in your heart, and, and they get past your mind in, in the, the logic up here that, oh, I can't do this, and get it into your heart with God, all things are possible, then you'll, be, you'll begin to move on in your journey of faith, okay? He says, we will not quit or faint with weariness. We reject every shameful cover-up and refuse to resort to cunning trickery or distorting the Word of God. Instead, we open up our souls to you by presenting the truth to everyone's conscience in the sight and the presence of God. He's, he's just talking to them. He's writing them a letter. He says, this is who we are. Even if our gospel message is veiled, it's only veiled to those who are perishing. So this morning, if you can't hear this gospel message, it's because, well, this is, this is the reason. For their minds have been blinded by the God of this age. Who's the God of this age? Satan. Okay? He's alive. He's well. Leaving them in what? Unbelief. See, that's the enemy's plan is always to get us to a place of unbelief. Their blindness keeps them from seeing the day spring light of the wonderful news of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the divine image of God. So we see the enemy has a plan to thwart the plan of God in your life and in my life. He says, we don't preach ourselves, but rather the Lordship of Jesus Christ. For we are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let brilliant light shine out of darkness, is the one who has cascaded his light into us. The brilliant dawning light of the glorious knowledge of God as we gaze into the face of Jesus Christ. The first thing I want you to say, I just have four points this morning, is number one is we will not quit. We will not quit. Paul begins by saying we've been entrusted with the privilege of this new covenant ministry. Listen, from the beginning of our walk with the Lord, you and I have been entrusted to carry out God's will. That's it. We've been called to carry out His will. And I just don't know what God's will is for my life. You know, I'm not talking about what school you go to, what job, who you marry. His will for you is to please Him. It's simple. I have been put on this earth to worship Him, to glorify Him, to please Him. It's not complicated, church. But see, the problem is we come into this earth and we think it's all about me. We hear it all the time. We're taught it. It's our culture. It's all about us. It's all about me. It's all about what I want in life. It's not what God wants for me. Like, who's he? He just created me. How could he know what I really need in my life? Anybody ever been guilty of saying that? Oh, God, how could God know? He didn't know what I'm going through. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? He didn't know what I'm going through. He didn't, he didn't know about this guy that's been trying to get, you know, Date me? <laughs> yeah. Okay. When God, listen, there's a saying that's been around for a long time. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. God doesn't call the qualified because none of us are qualified. So we don't have an excuse. Well, I'm just not qualified, God. I haven't been to seminary. <laughs> I said, well, that's true, but neither would Matthew and Mark. And he didn't matter. It doesn't matter. See, if he's going to qualify us, then it's his responsibility to do some things in our life. It's his responsibility. Okay? What's well, our responsibility in the process? We have to receive what he's doing in our life. We can either reject what He wants to do in our life, we can reject the calling on our life, or we can obey Him, we can listen to Him and walk in obedience. But guess what? It just, it's human nature. We just fight it. Say, well, surely God didn't call me to do that. So we have to find out our place. 
we have to understand who we are and that God can do anything through us. Now listen, the beginning of quitting can sometimes be compromise. He says it right here in this scripture. The beginning of quitting is compromise. You don't know what I'm talking about. You start compromising your, your beliefs. Well, you know, I know I've had a problem with alcohol all my life, but you know, one drink's not going to hurt. That's a compromise. I, I, that's just the first thought that came to my mind because I know a lot of people, if they take one drink, then it's two, then it's three, then it's four, then it's five, then they're drunk and they're drunk and they're drunk and they're drunk out of their gourd because they compromised. I remember preaching a message one, one Sunday. This is way back when we were in a little First Baptist building and we had a couple there, Chad and uh, Chad Huber and his wife, Kristen, and, and uh, they had been married for a little... For, for No, they weren't married. They weren't even married. It was Chad Huber and Kristen Fluger. And my son invited them to come to church and they were kind of looking for a church and they both had been divorced and, and so they were coming to church and one Sunday they both had gotten saved at Freedom and we were probably about 75 people and... Uh, I preached on compromise. I preached on what I'm speaking about right now. And I said, talk, talking about compromise. And at the end of the service, they went home. She said, honey, we're living together. We're compromising. We're not married. We're compromising. He said, you're right. And I use their example because they've given it to me. I use it to almost every premarital couple that I, premarital counseling that I do. I use them as an example because they immediately separated. Immediately they said, oh, 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 we're not, we don't want to be in compromise. Our faith is too important to us. Our witness is, is too important to us. So they separated, then they got, I got to do their wedding. Now they have like 20 kids and they're missionaries and they love Jesus. Not, not 20, not 20. But Paul says this, he says, I'm not going to water down the gospel for you Corinthians. So it sounds, so it's more palatable. <laughs> Say that three times fast. He said, I'm not going to water, I'm not going to, trickery, schemes. We're not going to do that to build the church. But do you know churches do that today? They, they, will, they will call you in. They will give you a feel-good message. They will send you on your way until you come back next week. And you give your tithes and your offerings. And you show up for the little programs. And then they teach you. And then they tickle your ears a little bit. And then they say, come back next week. And you feel good about yourself for a little while. Because you, you're not, they're not even talking about the Word. They're not talking about compromise. They're not talking about walking the truth. They're not, they're not talking about the narrow gate. Listen, I, I fear for people that don't teach the truth or preach the truth. They're responsible for that. So if you want to get mad at me, get mad at me. I don't care because I want to preach what God's put on my heart. I want to preach the Word of God. The calling on your life to fulfill God's purpose is the highest of all callings. Did you know that? It's the highest of all callings. We are called to shine in the darkness. I'm going to tell you something. It's dark out there. I don't care if the sun is shining bright. It's dark outside there. When you walk, you... Listen, can you just imagine yourself putting off a radiation like a beam of light wherever you went? Can you imagine that? And you could... Listen, if you, if you could see in the spirit realm, and I know some of you see that, but you can walk into a place and you might see... A little light here, maybe a little light over there, but a lot of just darkness. And wherever your light goes, it starts to touch people. It starts in, it starts to infect them in a good way. You, the atmosphere starts changing because of the light that you carry. Not because you're so good. It's the grace and the goodness and the brilliance of God in you. So once you start understanding some of these basic things, then you'll, you'll be able to say, I ain't going to quit. That was bad English, wasn't it? I am not going to quit. We will not quit. 
You've got to start getting that in your spirit. The second, the second uh, passage starts with verse 7, chapter 4. He says this, and you've heard this scripture many times, but it bears repeating like all of them do. We are like cl common clay jars that carry this glorious treasure within so that the extraordinary overflow of power will be seen as God's and not ours. So he says, I'm going to equip you. I've called you. I'm going to equip you. And I'm going to put this light in you. And I'm going to give you this power. Okay? Though we experience every kind of pressure, we're not crushed. At times we don't know what to do. But quitting is not an option. Would you say that? Quitting is not an option. Now we're, we're talking about a man that had every right to quit. He has been through everything and back and forth and again and again and again. You read through the scriptures about this man, Paul, and what he went through in his life to, to carry the gospel and to keep the faith over and over and over. Listen to what he says, and this is just one little short excerpt. He said, we are persecuted by others, but God has not forsaken us. We may be knocked down, but not out. Anybody ever get knocked down? Listen, you've got to get back up. We continually share in the death of Jesus in our own bodies so that the resurrection life of Jesus will be revealed through our humanity. A lot of people go, what in, what in the world does that mean? He goes on to say, but listen, we consider living to mean that we are constantly being handed over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus will be revealed through our humanity. So then death is at work in us, but it releases life in you. He says, I am willing to lay down my life for Jesus Christ. And in the process of laying down his life for Jesus, he was laying down his life for the church, for the kingdom of God. He said, I don't care. He said, listen, death is not, listen, death is going to come one way or the other. One day it's going to come. But not in, I'm going to live my life for Christ. My light's going to shine until that day that He calls me home. And he said, he said, listen, I don't count my life as dear to me. He didn't count his life as, oh, I'm special. He said, I, my life, even when you see the weakness in me, it's to the glory of God because God's going to shine through my weakness. See, sometimes we go, well, how can God shine through our weakness? He does it all the time because most all of us have some weaknesses. And we need God to shine through us in those times of weakness. Paul said in one passage, I am, when I am weak, I am strong. You ever thought about that? What does that mean? I'm, when I'm weak, I'm strong. Because when you're weak, you defer, you default to God. More, more times than not, you should. Okay, God, I'm weak. Why am I so weak? He said, well, Harold, you've been trying to carry this all by yourself. Give it to me. Because you're weak, but I'm strong. That's the way we can say... Quitting is not an option because God is not going to let us. He's not going to quit you. He's not going to give up on you. Amen? Aren't you glad of that? I bend these ahead of time and didn't work. I need a page turner. Quitting is not an option. That's number two. It's so important that we understand that we are just common clay jars. Say, I'm a clay jar. Some of you are pretty good-looking clay jars. Some of you look like you let your clay get out of hand. But guess what? God can use your clay jar however it is. I wonder why he just used that phrase that we're just jars of clay. Because he said, listen, without what I give you and fill you up with, you're not going to make it. 
See, when he said jars of clay, he was talking about everyday dishes. We're just everyday dishes. But when God comes in, we become fine china. We do. Because he makes us new. I know about china. We've got about 12 sets of china in our... Every estate sale, I, I try to guard my wife from looking at the china. It's true. I do. You know, Paul didn't go through what he went through so people would go, wow, Paul, you're awesome. As a matter of fact, when you study when he's talking about dying, did you know that became a, uh, a lot of the Christians were like, man, if he's God's chosen person, if he's a, such a great man of God, why would God allow him to go through all that he's going through? He had, to, he had to almost, he just said, listen, this is to the glory of God. They didn't understand that, Martha. You mean he's let you be shipwrecked? He's let you been, listen, he was whipped five times, 39 lashes, five times. He was stoned. He was left for dead. He was drug outside of a city where he had been preaching. They drug him out because they thought he was dead, and they left him outside the city. And then the, the disciples gathered around him and prayed for him, and he just got up. Guess where he went? Back to the city. He knew what it was like to be persecuted. He knew what it was like to be put down. He knew what it was like to have Pharisees following him wherever he went and dogging his every word and speaking out against him and bringing up false accusations against him. Have any of you been through the stuff that Paul has gone through? I don't think so. We don't know persecution yet. It's possible that it will come in our lifetime. We don't know that kind of persecution. We don't know that kind of loss that Paul had to put up with. You know, I, I remember a pastor saying Peter was the first Rocky because his name was Petra Rock, and that's why he sunk when he got out of the boat. But I'm telling you, I believe the first Rocky was Paul. I believe Rocky, the first Rocky, and you see Rocky's fiction. How many of you watched all 25 time, you know, very, you know, sequels? <laughs> when his great-grandkids are going to be fighting, you know. It's fiction, but it inspired people. I mean, they even put a statue up of a fictional guy in, in, in Philadelphia. Go figure. Why wouldn't you put Paul up there? <laughs> He's the one that's fought the fight. He's the one that suffered. He's the one that endured. He's the one that every time he got knocked down, he got back up. And that's what he's saying here. If you're going to, listen, he said, quitting is not an option in my life. God has done too much for me. If quitting is not an option, then you have to determine how you're going to battle. If quitting is not an option, you've got to determine how you're going to fight the battle. One of the things I say in premarital counseling to most couples, because I lead them through, we go through a whole thing. They have to fill out a questionnaire, and I, I, I ask them a lot of questions. But one of the things I say is, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment. They'll say, what is it? I say that divorce, the D word, will not be an option ever in your marriage. That you will, It won't come up when you're fighting, when you're throwing dishes at each other. When you're mad and, and you know you're so mad you can't see straight, it, it, when that happens, D divorce is not an option. You know what? That forces you. If it's not an option, if it's off the table, then it forces you to figure out what you need to do to get your marriage right. 
See, we're so quick to run in this country. We, we have a culture now. Listen, if it doesn't work, just leave it. If your job, listen, if your boss is just a little bit, if he's a little bit tough on you, well, I don't like my boss. And so that's, I'm just going to quit. Well, maybe that shouldn't be your option. Maybe your, maybe your option should be to be a better employee. Ooh. I don't know about that one, Pastor. You know my boss. Well, maybe your boss needs Jesus. Maybe you're there for that, for that reason. And then you can quit. Get them saved and then go on to the next job. But you see, if, if quitting is always an option for us in, in these areas of, oh, well, you know, school is just getting so hard. I think I'm just going to drop out. And people do it all the time. Because quitting was an option for them. But if you go to school and you sign up for school and your parents are paying to put you through school or somebody's taking care of you and getting you to school, listen, if you go to school, you should go in there and go, you know what, I'm going to be the best student because quitting is not an option. So if I'm not going to quit, I might as well make the best of it. Correct? Youth? Yeah, sure. College students? Well, that's just too hard. I don't, I don't think I can do that. You know, that, that's your job, your marriage, your family. Well, you know, I've got this uncle that I just can't stand. And so if, if we're having a family reunion, I'm just not going to go because I don't want to have to deal with my uncle. And that means you have quit the family because you didn't stay the course and go in there and make a difference in your family. And you go love that uncle instead of going, oh, I don't have anything to do with them. When's the last time you prayed for that person? See, we, we have all these options in our life. I'm gonna, if this didn't work out, I'm just going to quit. Listen, if my team doesn't get into the Super Bowl, I'm just going to change teams. You've heard of fickle fans, haven't you? Oh, man. I hit a nerve. I just like a good football game, Randy. You know, who's playing Kansas City in uh, San Francisco? See, I don't like San Francisco, so I'm going to be rooting for the 49ers. Because they beat my cowboys a few too many times. <laughs> but y'all know what I'm talking about, fickle fans? You like them as long as they're winning. When they're not, you switch teams. Verse 13. We have the same spirit of faith that is described in the Scriptures when it says, First I believed, then I spoke in faith. So we also first believe, then speak in faith. Boy, you need to highlight that. Before you speak, you've got to believe. You can't speak faith if you don't believe. It's just empty words. First I believed, then I spoke in faith. So we also first believe, then speak in faith. We do this because we are convinced that He who raised Jesus will raise us up with Him, and together we will all be brought into His presence. Yes, all things work for your enrichment so that more of God's marvelous grace will spread to more and more people, resulting in an even greater increase of praise to God, bringing Him even more glory. So no wonder we don't give up. Say, we don't give up. For even though our outer person gradually wears out, our inner being is renewed every single day. The third point is we don't give up. Different play on words, but hey, it's the same message. And as I was studying this, you know what just jumped out at me is we don't give up because we're not the only ones at stake. We're not the only ones at stake. See, sometimes we want to give up. And we think it's just too hard for me. 
and you don't even get you don't even start thinking about the people around you what effect that's going to have on them if they see you give up and quit are y'all hearing me when you think oh it's just me i can't do this anymore leave me alone no it doesn't work that way in the faith. It doesn't work that way in the church. It doesn't work that way in the kingdom. Every decision we make, listen, when, it's, when it goes against God and it's not a faith, it affects the people around you. It will affect your children. It will affect your marriage. It will affect the people that you work with. It will affect everybody in your sphere of influence because they're watching your life. And when you say, oh, I'm just going to give up, they say, well, there's another quitter. Where was his God? I thought his God could do anything. I thought his God was everything to him. And all of a sudden, I just can't do this anymore. God, where are you? You forget, you forgave, you've forsaken me. You've left me all alone in this lurch. And God said, I had left you one time. I'm there with you every second, every minute, and every moment of your life. What are you talking about? I've left you. It's more like you left me. That's why he said, you've got to draw close to me. Then I'll draw close to you because we push him away sometimes. Then we go, well, I just can't handle this. I just can't do this. This faith walk is just too hard. I mean, I'm doing spiritual warfare all the time. Really? Are you really? You know, the fight, there's only one fight that the Bible says we're to fight, and that's fight the good fight of F-A-I-T-H. Forsaking all, I trust Him. I, I trust God. See, in, in our lives, the enemy, he was going to come against faith every time. And he's going to come against faith with F-E-A-R, fear. And when it gets you to the place of fear, that leads you to the place of doubt. And when you get to the place of doubt and you keep going with it, you get to the place of unbelief. It's, it's a progression. When fear, when you let fear overtake your faith, then the, the, the enemy starts putting those little doubts in your mind. Oh, I don't think your marriage will ever work. Oh, you don't really think that God's going to provide all your needs. Oh, he's not the healer. Listen, you've, you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed. You're still sick. Are you kidding me? And he starts putting these seeds of doubt in your heart and fear starts rising up. And then one day you just quit believing and you say, I give up. I quit. Does that resonate with anybody? It's a battle, isn't it? You've got to fight for your faith. You've got to say, God, no, no, enemy, no. I am serving God no matter what. And I know it's Old Testament, but Job said, though he slay me, yet I will serve him. He didn't even know about what God was doing in the future. He didn't know about all the things, all the blessings that were coming his way. We don't give up, church. A tremendous faith has to be grounded in Jesus and His promises, and it will keep you going. The more we stay on the course of that God's laid out for us, the more glory God gets. And guess what? That's what He's into, getting glory, because He's God. Paul, even in this passage, recognized his body was wearing out. No kidding. Shipwrecked, beaten, left for dead, 39 lashes five times. And on and on and on it goes. Just not, not even to mention the mental anguish he had to go through. Being imprisoned. Facing death. All these things. He said, you know what? I love, I love Paul. He said, my body's wasting away. That's just kind of a natural thing. It's not, it's not, I'm not as spry as I used to be. But he said, man, inside, he's renewing me every day. I'm not quitting until that quits. I'm not, I'm not giving up until God calls me home. That's why he said, I have fought the fight, I've finished the race. 
He said, I know who my, my Redeemer lives. He, he, already had, he already knew that he was going to make it to the end because he had purposed in his heart that he was not going to give up. Some of you this morning, you've already thought about giving up, and today you're going to purpose in your heart not to. When you get to the place where you feel like giving up, you need to dig deep into the well of your heart and find hope. Do you hear me? You've got to start digging. You've got to do something. You can't just sit there and go, Oh, oh, me, oh my, God, where are you? You've got to say, No, I'm not giving in to my feelings because I'm a person of faith. If we gave in to our feelings, most of you wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be here today. How many of you wouldn't be here today if you were going by your feelings? A lot of honest people here. I don't feel like getting out of bed. I don't feel like getting dressed. Well, come on, just wear your pajamas in. I don't feel like singing today. I don't feel like worshiping God today. I just don't feel like it. I had a bad week. How many of you know this? The times that you've given into that and you didn't go, you felt lousy. But the times you've sucked it up, you said, I am going to go worship God. I don't care how I feel. Then you leave here and you go, whew, God just replug. He just charged me up again. Verse 17, almost done. We view our slight, short-lived troubles in the light of eternity. That's almost comical that Paul would write that. He said, we view our slight, short-lived troubles in the light of eternity. Wow. I don't know if we could compare our short-lived troubles to that. We see our difficulties as a substance that produces for us an eternal, weighty glory far beyond all comparison because we don't focus our attention on what is seen but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but the unseen realm is eternal. The last point is the keys to staying the course. The key to not quitting, the key to staying the course, all goes into how you view things, how you look at things, how you what's your perspective of things. It all goes back to that. Did you know in that in that couple of verses we see the words view, see, focus, seen, unseen. He's talking about circumstances in your life. You see that you focus on. What are you focusing on? It has everything to do with, I am not going to give up. I'm not going to quit because I see things differently than the world sees them. We have a different perspective. Say, I have a different perspective. I have spiritual lenses. Say, I have 20-20 spiritual lenses. I've gotten my prescription changed. I don't have, the new lenses aren't in yet, but... I'm ready for my 2020 vision back. Y'all may have seen me struggle reading words, but uh, I want to see clearly. Don't you? I, mean, I, I just don't like it when it's a little blurry. Like I'm going by, what's that street? I don't know. what. Why don't they light those things up? <laughs> Make them like huge letters. Anybody have trouble reading street signs at night? Sucks, doesn't it? Just go right by it. <laughs> Even the GPS lady say, hey, you passed, you missed it. 
Go back. We all want to see clearly. And so in our situations in life and our circumstances in life, we've got to put on the lens that God gives us, not the lens that the enemy wants you to look through. I want to read a passage for you, Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. A lot of people don't get this, and, and I believe I have an understanding of it after years of not getting it. Uh, but God still loved us with such great love that He is so rich in compassion and mercy, even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, He united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by His wonderful grace. Isn't that awesome? I love that. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with Him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm, for we, for now, for we are now co-seated as one with Christ. We are He seated in heavenly places with Christ. And I'm thinking, well, I'm on earth. You're seated in chairs. How can we be seated with Christ in the heavenly places? And I believe that what He showed me is that because we are one with Him and we are in Him and He is in us, the Bible says in John 17, right? We are in Christ and Christ is in us. If He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, in a sense, we're sitting in the right hand of the Father with Him. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not saying spooky spiritual stuff like we. I'm, you're looking around heaven and, hey, God, hey, Father, how are you? And I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we... He gives us a way to look at things differently because we're seated with Him. And so we have to quit looking at things through our own physical eyes. We have to quit looking at our situations like the world looks at them or like some self-help book will tell you to figure it out. We have to look at the, the things and the situations, the circumstances, the trials, the tribulations in our life. We have to look at them through a different lens. And that's what He says. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that He may instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, what in, what in the world does that mean? If I got the mind of Christ, I'm not, I'm not as smart as I should be if I have the mind of Christ. But, you know, that's really not a good translation, not a good interpretation. And I like what the, the, the Passion Translation says about it. And in other translations say the same thing in a, in, a, in, a, in a different way, but the same thing. And he says the Passion Translation doesn't say we have the mind of Christ. It says we possess Christ's perceptions. We see things differently. We have eyes that see things that, spiritual eyes that see things that, the, that our physical eyes have already seen and calculated. And then we start, if we start giving into what our physical eyes see, then we, uh, we don't allow our spiritual eyes to take over and see the situation the way God wants us to see it. Does that make sense? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. How many of you see circumstances and they come to your life and they blindside you and your first reaction is in your flesh? Anybody? Okay. Then your second reaction is like, oh, no, 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 no. That's what the enemy would want me to see. That's, that's him trying to come to give me, bring, have a, a doubt and unbelief in my mind. I'm not going to see it that way. I'm not going to look it that way. God, what are, you, what are you showing me in this? That's what I'm trying to say. You've got to start looking through things through your spiritual eyes and quit looking through uh, your, your physical eyes. Listen, our minds have been transformed. He said, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by what? The renewing of your minds. How do your minds get renewed, church? The Word of God. Oh, that. Oh, you're always telling us to read that, Pastor. I thought you were just kidding. No. Really? You want me to read the Word? Man, I don't understand the Word. What are you talking about? All the these and the thous and the begats and the, all that. Don't make excuses anymore. Men, women, quit making excuses about not reading the Word. I, I just, I'm tired of hearing it. 
I, every time I have a couple that comes to me, our marriage is in, is in shambles. I say, are you reading the word together? No. You praying together? No. Well, then get out. <laughs> go, go do that and then come back and we'll talk. That's Don Babbin's way he counsels. Having financial problems? Yes. Are you tithing? No. Then start tithing. Get out. <laughs> As Don Babbins, that's how he would counsel people. But seriously, you want things to change? You want your mind to be transformed because you're not doing anything about it? You want somebody to spoon feed you on Sunday morning and explain things to you? And then you think that's going to get you through to the next Sunday? And your mind's going to be transformed? No. This is just a little bitty part of it. This is a kickstart to get your mind working where you're hungry for the Word and you want a renewed mind. Listen, when your mind is renewed, your strategies, your struggles will turn into strategies. When your mind is renewed, your pain can turn into passion. When your, when your mind is renewed, your trials will turn into testimonies. And when your, fa- and your failures can be turned into faith. That's, that's how God works. All these struggles you've been going through, and God said, no, 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 listen. Step back from it. Let me give you a, a, a different way to look at this. And I want to show you some strategies how you can move around this and navigate through this. He just doesn't always come and do everything for us. As a matter of fact, he says, I'm going to give you the tools to do it. I've already given you my word. I've done everything I can do for you. I've sent you my Holy Spirit. I've filled you. I've blessed you. You need to grow up and start doing some things. Get out of the crib. Get off of the get out of the spectator seats. Get out on the field. Whatever it means to you, you've got to start doing something. Ah, it's a popular message, isn't it? He's putting it on me. God's perspective. Here's the thing. I don't know what you're going through. Everybody in here probably is going through something. And God's going to give you counsel. He's going to speak through the Word. He's going to speak through pastors, teachers. He's going to give you some directions. That's what He's going to do in the process. He's going to give you ways to navigate through these things in your life. And you may not understand why you're going through what you're going through, but I want to tell you something. Here's the deal. We don't know the end of the story about what that trial is going to bring or that circumstance or that tragedy. We don't know the end of the story. We only know what's right in front of us. And when sometimes what's right in front of us, that's the thing that wipes us out. Because we don't see, but God sees the end of it. He sees if you will stay the course... He sees the great outcome for the greater good, for the, for the glory of God. He sees the outcome that can be a blessing. And, and listen, you don't really hear any great testimonies unless somebody's gone through a great trial. And I've heard this all the time, but it's true. Whatever you're going through, God's building your testimony. If you're staying faithful in the process. If you're not saying, I give up, I quit. I can't do this. You know, I'm always saying that in light of that God's doing it through you. You're giving up on God, but God doesn't want you to do that because He's not going to give up on you. We don't know the outcome, but God does. (laughs) You may feel like you have lost. And God said, oh no, child. You're more than a conqueror through me. You've got it. I've got you. You don't know what's around the corner, but it's going to be—it's going to bless your socks off. You just stay faithful. 
you just stay the course. You just don't give up. And in the process, keep praying, keep blessing people, keep staying in my words, keep being a part of a fellowship of believers. But God, this is insurmountable. And he says, you know what? This too shall pass. Some of you, the finish line is, is right there. You've gotten about right here and you're going, man, I, that's, just, I, that's just too far to go. I can't make it there, Father. Y'all remember that Olympian that was struggling and he was running a marathon? This was many years ago. This was actually the Olympics. And this guy was running a marathon and he broke down and fell. I wish I had the video. He broke down and fell on the finish on the stretch down down through the stadium. Just crashed. He couldn't go any further. And his dad jumped out the stands. Y'all remember that? Picked his son up. Put his arms around him and said, Come on, son. Of course, he got disqualified. He didn't care. My son's going to finish the race. And God said, God said, I've started a good work in you. I will bring it to completion. He wants to carry you. He wants to get you across the finish line. Of whatever the trial is right now in your life, whatever the circumstance that looks huge, he says, I'm bigger than that. I'm bigger than that. See it the way I see it. Look, I look down. God looks down and says, no, that's not a big deal. You think it's a big deal. It's not a big deal. I got you covered. He's just looking for us to step out and operate in faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith brings our hopes into reality. It becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. Paul said, Man, I see things through eternal eyes. I'm not thinking about just what's happening in the next few years. I'm seeing it through eternity's eyes. That's why he could say, You can kill me. That's okay. I'll just go be with Jesus. But if you let me live, I'm just going to tell people about Jesus. He didn't count his life dear to himself. You know, I don't know if we can ever get to that place. I, I, I'm not Paul. You're not Paul. But when we come to the place of saying, you know, God, you're, you've got me in the process. I, 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 it's really more about you than me. When we get to that place, guys, and I know it's a process of working our way there. But just keep going that direction. Keep running the marathon. Stay steady. You know, every great man and woman of the Bible stayed the course. And you know how they did it? By faith. And something they could see. They just did it day by day, moment by moment. I've talked to drug addicts and they say, well, you know, a lot of people say, if I can just live one day at a time. They say, we can't live one day at a time, Pastor. It's one moment at a time. Well, that's the way we should all be living. One moment at a time. Because God's going to put people in our path. One moment they're here and you're going to speak to them. You're going to speak life here. You're going to pray for somebody. He's going to raise you up to do some incredible things once you get past yourself. He said in this passage, the last passage that I just read, that we have, uh, have the same power that God gave Paul. We have that same power, church. Would you stand?